Mountain Town, Manuel and Minerva, by Ivory Harlow. I, Mrs. Johnson's car smelled like french fries. Manny wedged his small hand between the seat cushions, hoping to find some that had fallen. He didn't remember the last time he ate a proper meal. Since their mother stopped sending them to school, he and his sister Minnow ate whatever he could find in the kitchen cupboards, peanut butter from the jar, cans of tuna, blocks of uncooked ramen noodles. He was too proud to tell the caseworker how hungry he was. He looked over across the back seat to Minnow, willing her to blurt out that they hadn't eaten today. Unfortunately, Minnow was gazing out the passenger window, watching the road, wondering if Mrs. Johnson was taking them back to the Stevens, their former foster family. Do you understand why Child Protective Services removed you from home again? Mrs. Johnson asked, glancing at them in the rearview mirror. Because mom got in trouble with the law and our dad is in jail? Manny asked innocently. He pushed his sandy brown hair away from his face. He was badly in need of a haircut. His gray-blue eyes met Mrs. Johnson's in the mirror. And because Manny is ten and can't take care of me? Minnow added. Her brother had just turned ten, and though he tended to her needs more than their mother ever did, he was not an adult and could not be in charge of looking after his eight-year-old kid sister. Your mom violated the terms of the family service plan. She's charged with child neglect. Child Protective Services determined it's in your best interest to stay somewhere safe while your mom works out her problems. Mrs. Johnson's tone was measured, but not judgmental. Is she going to jail? Minnow asked. Two police officers had accompanied Mrs. Johnson to their trailer when she came to collect the children. The officers escorted their mom to the squad car in handcuffs, while Mrs. Johnson helped Manny and Minnow each pack a bag of clothes and told them she was taking them somewhere safe. First, she will go to a hospital for drug and alcohol detoxification. Then she will go to jail until the adversary hearing, Mrs. Johnson told the children the truth. There was no need to sugarcoat words with these kids. They'd already seen and been through it all. Two years ago, Child Protective Services took custody of Manny and Minnow for the first time. The kid's father was charged with illegal drug manufacturing, and their mother with possession and accessory to his drug operation. Their father lost custodial rights when he received a life sentence in prison. Their mother served 90 days in jail, then completed three months of parenting classes in order to regain custodial rights. They spent six months in foster care, living with the Stevens family outside of Mountain Town. Are you taking us back to the Stevens house? Minnow piped up. No, Mrs. Johnson said regrettably. They wanted very much to have you back, but Mrs. Stevens just had a baby girl, the caseworker explained. Pastor and Mrs. Stevens already had three girls, two were older than Manny, and one was his age. Minnow liked to be the littlest girl. Pastor Stevens' church was Pentecostal. Mrs. Stevens explained that girls wore long skirts and wore their hair long because of their religion. She practiced the same with Minnow while Minnow was in her care. Minnow didn't like wearing a skirt, but she enjoyed attending church and the church's small private school with her foster siblings. Manny liked how life with the Stevens differed from life with their mom and dad. It was quiet, simple, predictable. CPS deemed it appropriate for the kids to return home to their mother after six months in foster care. During the transition, Pastor Stevens invited their mother to attend church services, and told them the children were welcome to continue to attend private school, for free. 
The congregation has agreed to waive the cost of both children to continue to attend private school. Manuel and Minerva are doing well academically, and have made good friends here, he told their mom. Their mom nodded politely. She even told Manny and Minnow they could go, but she took them back to public school and never woke up early enough to go to Sunday services. At least they could count on free breakfast and lunch at public school. Mrs. Stevens had fed them breakfast before school and packed a brown bag lunch for private school, but their mother did neither. Now that their mom wasn't sending them to school, Manny had to forage for three meals a day. If we aren't going back to the Stevens, where are we going? Manny asked. Wherever it was, he hoped to find something for them to eat. Mrs. Johnson continued the conversation with caution. First, we are going to the Gaddis's home. Elmer and Paula Gaddis are an older couple. They raised three children of their own, then filled the empty nest with 17 foster children over the years. The past few years, they have only provided emergency care, but they will foster one placement because of the unexpected nature of your return to CPS custody. Mrs. Johnson was splitting them up. Minnow reached over and took her brother's hand. They agreed to take Minerva because they have the energy to care for a little girl, she said as she pulled into the Gaddis's driveway. They didn't know Minnow like Manny did. She only acted shy and sweet with strangers. The Spitfire came later. Mrs. Johnson hadn't spent enough time with Minnow to know what she was really like, to warn the old people. He hoped they didn't bite off more than they could chew. He wouldn't be there to rein her in. Two. Mrs. Johnson put the car in park, walked to the trunk, and took out Minnow's bag only. Come on now, she opened Minnow's car door. You too, Manny. It will give you peace of mind to know your sister is in good hands. Mrs. Johnson motioned for the children to follow her up the walkway to the single-story ranch home. It had powder blue siding with white shutters and brick accents. The green lawn was cropped short and manicured. There were rosy-cheeked garden gnomes in the flower beds. Mrs. Johnson rang the doorbell. A plump, white-haired woman answered the door. She hobbled over a cane. Her husband stood behind her. He was an old cowboy, tall and skinny. He wore black suspenders to hold up his wranglers, and polished black cowboy boots that had never seen the range. Hello Mrs. Johnson. Hello children. Please come in. She shuffled to the side and welcomed them into the house. The smell of warm cinnamon and yeasty bread wafted through the house. Manny inhaled deeply. It smelled like a bakery. The living room had a large velour couch and a love seat in a floral design. Knitted Afghan blankets in matching shades of beige, maroon, and olive green draped over every surface. I'm Mrs. Gaddis. Our foster children call me Grandma Paula. This is Mr. Gaddis, Grandpa Elmer. She clutched Elmer's arm with her free hand. He held her steady. This is Minerva, Mrs. Johnson patted Minnow's unkempt light brown hair. Minnow smiled shyly. She didn't introduce Manny. Would you like to see your room, Minerva? Then you children can do a puzzle or play a game while Elmer and I talk to Mrs. Johnson. Minnow nodded and followed the adults down the hallway. We haven't had a foster child in a few years now. So we fixed up the room special for you. She opened the door to a small bedroom. The twin-size bed had a pink and purple quilt and ruffle pillows. Mrs. Gaddis must knit, Manny thought, seeing a bright pink afghan draped over the bottom of the bed. 
Minnow ran to the corner and threw herself into an oversized lavender beanbag chair. Isn't that fun? My daughter-in-law dropped off some of my granddaughter's things for you to use. They are teenagers now, too big for beanbags. Grandpa Elmer built this for them when they were little, she pointed to an elaborate three-story dollhouse. They thought you might like to play with it while you are here. Minnow doesn't play with dolls, and she doesn't like pink and purple. Minnow was not a girly girl. She got her nickname because she loved fishing and was good at catching bait fish. Her favorite color was light blue, like the water, the same color as her and Manny's eyes. Elmer opened the closet, revealing three shelves of puzzles, games, and toys. We'll be in the kitchen chatting if y'all need us, he said. The adults exited the room, leaving the siblings alone together. Minnow walked over to survey the shelves of toys. I wish you were staying here, she said. Me too. Where are you going? I don't know. Manny shrugged. Don't be afraid you're alone. I can tell they are nice like the Stevens. I hope you get to stay with nice people too, she looked at her brother with concern. I'm hungry, she said, clutching her stomach as if it hit her suddenly. I'll get us something to eat, Manny said. Follow me to the kitchen and play along, he instructed. Minnow trailed Manny into the kitchen. The cabinets were in pristine condition, even though they were outdated. The kitchen had a beige tile countertop and backsplash that matched the beige tile floor. Grandma Paula, can I get Minnow and me glasses of water? Manny asked. Of course, honey, she said without looking away from the paperwork Mrs. Johnson was reviewing with them at the kitchen table. The cups are in the cupboard. There is a step stool beside the fridge if you need it. There is juice and milk in the fridge if you'd rather have that, Elmer added. Manny opened several cupboards, pretending to look for cups. He hoped one held pantry items. He spotted a sleeve of saltines and discreetly put it in his sweatshirt. Manny removed two cups and opened the refrigerator door. He took out the milk and filled their cups to the brim. Manny snatched a bag of shredded cheese when he returned the milk. The kids downed the milk and set the cups in the sink. There was a half loaf of banana bread wrapped in saran wrap sitting on the counter near the sink. He took it and passed it to Minnow behind his back. She tucked it under her shirt. They casually walked back to Minnow's room with the bounty. Manny removed the cheese and crackers from his shirt and set them on the bed. Careful not to drop the cheese pieces, he said, opening the package and handing it to Minnow. She stuffed a handful of cheese in her mouth. He broke the banana bread in two and gave Minnow the larger piece. Manny gobbled the bread, then sandwiched cheese between saltines. When they'd both finished, he shoved the bags and wrappers into his sweatshirt pocket. He'd dispose of the evidence later. Somewhere Grandma Gaddis wouldn't find it. Full stomachs and covert sneakiness left satisfied smiles on their faces. Minnow was working on a puzzle and Manny was reading a book when Marty Johnson popped her head into the room. Ready to go Manuel? Say bye-bye to your sister. By Minnow, he said, not showing emotion. By Manny, she said. He set the book down and followed Mrs. Johnson out of the room. He buckled himself in the backseat of Mrs. Johnson's car, and looked over to the place Minnow had sat, now empty. Manny was a year and a half older than his sister, but he was too little to remember what life was like without her. Wave goodbye, Manuel, Mrs. Johnson jolted him back to attention. He waved to the Gaddises and Minnow, who'd gathered on the porch to send them off, as Mrs. Johnson backed out of the driveway. 3. 
How long will we stay in foster care? Manny asked Mrs. Johnson when they were back on the road. I don't know for sure. But I am certain the current, temporary order remains in effect until the first status hearing. It depends on the court's determination. Will I see Minnow again? Manny pushed back his hair again, then noticed the banana bread caked under his overgrown fingernails. He could still smell the soft and delicious bread on his hands. You'll see her at school. Mrs. Johnson offered the information to provide Manny with reassurance, but he wasn't asking about passing her in the hallway at school. He meant being with his sister, spending time with her. Are we going to the country? Manny asked. Manny and Minnow's mother lived in the trailer court in downtown Mountain Town. His first experience of the country was staying with the Stevens family. Both children loved running wild and exploring wide open spaces with their foster siblings. The Nichols live five miles outside Mountain Town. They are a young couple. They are new foster parents. I told them that this is your second foster home and you can show them the ropes, she said with optimism. Mrs. Johnson pulled into a long gravel driveway. Manny saw a two-story farmhouse at the end of the drive. A spur off the drive led to a large, old barn that was fully restored. Mr. Nichols works in the oil field. He isn't home right now. But Mrs. Nichols is here to meet you. The farmhouse had a fresh coat of white paint. A woman stood on the wraparound porch. She leaned on one of the white beams, using her hand as a visor to shield her eyes from the sun. Her frame was slender, but not willowy. She had long brown hair pulled back in a low ponytail. Her plain looks matched her casual dress, a clean, but faded, t-shirt and worn in jeans. Mrs. Johnson wasn't kidding when she said young. Mrs. Nichols looked younger than his mother. Mrs. Johnson parked and retrieved Manny's bag from the trunk. This time, Manny didn't wait for an invitation to join her. He got out of the car. A black and white border collie bounded down the steps and jubilantly jumped on Manny. He smothered the dog with pets. That's Luna, Mrs. Nichols said, approaching the boy and dog. Sorry. She is very friendly. It's okay. I love dogs. But we can't have one where I live, lived. Manny corrected himself. This is Mrs. Jessica Nichols, Mrs. Johnson introduced the woman. Up close, he noticed freckles on her face and arms. They made her look friendly and approachable. She bent down to Manny's level and pet Luna. I'm glad you aren't afraid of dogs, she said. There was kindness in her hazel eyes. Still, Manny kept up his defenses. I'm not afraid of anything, he said matter-of-fact. Mrs. Nichols and I will chat on the porch while you play with the dog, Mrs. Johnson interrupted. He could tell Mrs. Johnson was eager to leave him there. It had been a long day, for her, for all of them. Luna brought Manny a ball. He had worn her out by the time Mrs. Johnson came to say goodbye. I'll be in touch, Manny. Be a good boy. I will, he spoke to Mrs. Johnson, but looked at Mrs. Nichols, who stood beside her. Mrs. Johnson left a cloud of dust as she barreled down the driveway back to Mountain Town. Have you had supper, Manuel? she asked. I waited to eat in case you were hungry when you arrived. I am hungry. Come on in the house and wash up. She lifted his bag off the porch and set it inside the front door. We'll put your things away after we eat. There is a bathroom through there, she pointed. Manny walked through the living room. 
It had an enormous brick fireplace with a vintage rocking chair on each side. Natural light poured through the paned windows. The room was clean and homey. Manny looked in the mirror as he washed his hands. His face needed a good washing as well. He scrubbed off what he could with a hand towel, then smoothed his hair down to look presentable. After washing up, he followed his nose to the kitchen. Whatever Mrs. Nichols cooked smelled amazing. She had set two places at the table. There was a covered bread basket between them. Manny had to sit on his hands to keep from eating it before she joined him. Mrs. Nichols sent two plates of creamy noodle casserole and green beans on the table. I hope you like chicken casserole and green beans. The green beans are from our garden. Manny nodded approval. She reached over and unwrapped the warm bread rolls in the basket. Oops. I forgot the butter. She walked to the fridge to retrieve it. Meanwhile, Manny could not keep from snatching a roll and stuffing it in his mouth. You like the bread? She chuckled. I bake it a few times a week. It's the best bread I've ever eaten. Manny said with his mouth full. I'm glad you like it. I taught myself to bake bread, she smiled. Tomorrow morning I'll make you French toast from my French bread. French toast is different from regular toast? Manny asked. He'd be fine with regular toast. Or plain bread. He was just happy to know he'd be fed breakfast. You've never had French toast. You're in for a treat. It's like a pancake and toast, sprinkled with powdered sugar. I know I will like it, he said, picking up a long green bean with his fingers and taking a bite. He quickly set it back on the plate and picked it back up with his fork, remembering it was not good manners to eat with his hands. Mrs. Nichols pretended not to notice. My husband, Tate, is in the oil field right now. He works two weeks on, one week off. He's coming home tomorrow evening. I text him you were coming today. He's excited to meet you. We'll have a week to get to know one another before he goes back to the field. Manny nodded as he shoveled the last bite of casserole into his mouth. Mrs. Nichols had hardly touched her meal. Would you like seconds? Manny looked sheepish. It was really, really, good. Jessica beamed. I always make too much. Let me get you another helping. She brought a second serving to the boy. He didn't waste time diving in. You have a good appetite, she said, pleased by his enthusiasm for her food. He wanted to tell her how hungry he'd been, and how he had to find and steal food for himself and Minnow. But he knew telling adults things like that could be held against his mother in court. He stayed silent instead. After dinner, Jessica showed Manny his room. The Nichols house was enormous. Only you and Mr. Nichols live here, he asked. Why didn't they have their own kids? Why wouldn't they take Minnow too? There was enough room and food for sure. Yep, just us. Here you are. She opened the door to Manny's bedroom. There was a neatly made bed, night table, chest of drawers, and desk. He noticed new art supplies on the desk and a stack of comic books on the night table. I chose this room for you because there is a bathroom is right across the hall, and because of this cool window nook. She sat on a cushioned window seat in the nook. Manny joined her. They looked out the windows at a sprawling field of green with large cottonwood trees. You have a big lawn. It's 11 acres. This farm used to be a 100 acres, but the owner sold it as parcels. We bought the house and barn on 11 of them. It's fenced in.
Everything in the fence is yours to play and explore. Is that a creek? He pointed to the back of the property, more like a draw. There is a trickle of water in it year-round, but it fills up in the rainy season, July through October. Can you fish in it? There are tadpoles and minnows, but not big fish. My sister's nickname is Minnow because she loves to catch them. Jessica's face softened. We can invite Minnow and her foster family out for a picnic sometime. When Mrs. Johnson called Jessica to request foster care, she'd asked them to take both children. Jessica agreed to foster one, knowing Tate was reluctant to foster at all, let alone two children. Tate and Jessica always imagined having a large family. In fact, they bought the farmhouse intending to have lots of children. They tried to conceive for six years unsuccessfully. Eventually they sought help from a fertility specialist and learned Tate was infertile. It was a blow to Tate's masculinity. Jessica treaded lightly, suggesting they try fostering a child to see if adoption might be a solution. Tate shot down the idea at first, but Jessica eventually convinced him to attend Child Protective Services Parent Resource for Information, Development, Education Pre-Service Training to become certified foster parents. Jessica told Mrs. Johnson they'd foster the boy. She thought Tate would have an easier time relating to and bonding with a young boy than a girl. Tate liked the great outdoors, sports, and working with his hands. Manuel was old enough to enjoy those things with him. She hoped that in time, Manuel would show Tate his heart could love a child like it was his own. In the meantime, the little boy was already lighting up her life. 4. Three months later Tate and Manny were in the barn shop, working on wood projects. Tate was working on a mantle for the fireplace. He gave Manny some soft pine and was teaching him how to hold it past his knees or to the side to whittle safely. Why is it called whittling? Manny asked Tate. That's a good question, bud. Let's ask Siri. He held his phone to his face. Siri, where does word whittling come from? Whittling is to cut thin shavings from something with a knife. The word originates from Middle English whittle. Siri responded. Now we know, Tate smiled at Manny. The little boy's curiosity reminded him of himself when he was 10. Manny wasn't like most kids his age. He preferred playtime to screen time. He didn't complain about the lack of modern amenities during the week-long camping trip they took over the 4th of July. Manny had never been camping before. He loved gathering kindling, learning to make fire, and cooking fish he and Tate caught over an open fire. The family went on long hikes with Luna. Manny didn't whine he was tired or ask Tate to carry his pack. Manny had been with them for a short time in the grand scheme of things, but Tate couldn't remember their life without him. The children's mother's initial hearing established the children would remain in Child Protective Services custody for 180 days until a permanency hearing. Tate and Jessica found solace in the fact Manny would be in their care for at least six months. V. Manny and Minnow saw one another at school while it was in session. Jessica knew those sightings, however brief, were therapeutic for Manny. So when school let out for summer she arranged weekly playdates with Minnow. Mrs. Gaddis did not drive, so Elmer delivered Minnow to the Nichols for a playdate, or Jessica and Manny picked her up in town. That morning, they planned to pick Minnow up for wristband day at the county fair. They wanted to get an early start, so the kids had plenty of time to ride the carnival rides before the August sun got too hot. When they arrived at the Gaddises, Jessica sent Manny to the door to retrieve his sister while she waited in the car. After a minute with no answer, she rolled down her window.
maybe they didn't hear the knock. She said, try ringing the bell. Still, no answer. Jessica got out of the car. The Gattises always had Minnow packed and ready to go. Look around the house Manny, maybe they're in the backyard. Manny trotted around the house, while Jessica peeked in the window. It looked like no one was home. Strange, she thought, they are always home. They aren't in back. Manny returned to report. The Gattises didn't have cell phones, so Jessica called their landline. She heard it ringing in the house. It went to voicemail. Jessica left a message that they'd come for Minnow. Manny looked sullen. Let's you and me go have fun at the fair, she said, determined to not upset the day they had planned. Manny retreated to the car with his head down, clearly disappointed. His mood lightened the minute the Ferris wheel came into view. I want to ride that first. Jessica bought wristbands for them both. She wasn't thrilled about riding stinky, sticky carnival rides, but Minnow wasn't there, and she didn't want Manny to have to ride solo. The Ferris wheel provided a 360-degree view of the fairgrounds and beyond. We are as tall as the mountains. Manny said, holding his arms out wide to the landscape. After a few rides, Manny announced he was starving. If we are going to ride the tilt or whirl, we'd better do that first. I intend to eat an entire funnel cake for lunch, Jessica warned. Okay mom. Manny said and ran towards the tilt whirl Had she heard him right? Mom. No single word had ever made her heart swell like this way. Jessica wanted to be his mom, forever. She knew better than to allow herself to feel such emotions. She must protect her heart, but so far, her efforts to do so were failing. Jessica had fallen in love with the little boy. Manny wanted a corn dog for lunch. Jessica got one for each of them, boiled peanuts, and a large funnel cake for dessert. They sat on the bleachers to watch the piglet races. Jessica's phone rang. She wiped her powdered sugar-covered fingers on her jeans before swiping to answer it. She hoped it was Paula. If they left after the races they could pick up Minnow and be back in time for the afternoon parade. Hello? Mrs. Nichols? This is Mrs. Johnson at CPS. Oh, hi Mrs. Johnson, she said, surprised. Sorry, I was expecting another call. I have some unfortunate news. Jessica's mind conjured worst-case scenarios. She couldn't handle the heartache of Manny going home early. Mrs. Gaddis suffered a fall this morning. She broke her hip. Elmer was at the grocery store when it happened. Minerva, bless her heart, found her on the floor of the kitchen and called 911. Goodness. I'm so sorry to hear that. Jessica said, relieved. Manny was still hers, for now. How is the little girl handling it? Minerva is shaken up. She and Elmer are at the hospital now. Mrs. Gaddis is in stable condition. She will have surgery tomorrow morning. They'll keep her at the hospital for a week in post-surgical recovery. Rehabilitation and acute post-care will take 10 weeks at home, Mrs. Johnson explained. Elmer called me and explained he cannot care for Minerva for the remaining placement period. Understandably, he'll have his hands full caring for Mrs. Gaddis. I am calling to ask if you and Mr. Nichols would reconsider fostering both children? Jessica resisted shouting, yes, into the phone. She wanted the little girl for herself and to reunite Manny with his sister. Manny had gone down to the fence to cheer on the littlest runt piglet. Jessica took a moment of silence to appreciate how he was always looking out for the underdog. 
She loved that about him. She came to her senses. I'll have to discuss it with Tate. He's in the oil field for another week. I can leave a message for him, but he won't get it until he's at the base camp. I understand and appreciate you need to talk it over with your husband, but I need to place Minerva immediately. How soon is immediately? I was hoping you could pick up Minerva this afternoon, Mrs. Johnson begged. Jessica's gaze returned to Manny. He pumped his fist in the air when the littlest piglet took first place. He spotted Jessica in the bleachers, gave her a thumbs up, and headed in her direction. Yes, she said before she could have second thoughts, we'll take her. Thank you so, so much, Mrs. Johnson breathed a sigh of relief into the phone. I'm out of town at a continuing education course for my social work license this week, but I can send a colleague to assist with the exchange, she proposed. That isn't necessary. Minnow knows and trusts us. She'd been to our home several times. I think involving a stranger in the exchange will do more harm than good, Jessica suggested. Sounds good. Your household is already an approved emergency provider with the agency, so I can come by to complete the paperwork when I return to Mountain Town on Monday. Can you ask Elmer to call my cell? Jessica asked. We will work out the details. I will, and thanks again. Mrs. Johnson hung up the phone. Did you see that cute piglet? Manny reached her just as she hung up. We should get a piglet friend for Luna. That cute piglet will grow to be a 500-pound hog. It'll be adult size in six months. Whoa. No way. Yes way. We raised hogs for pork when I was a kid. Maybe we could raise a hog for pork. Dad can build a pen. I can feed and take care of it. I don't know if he'll want the barn smelling like hog manure. The word dad didn't escape Jessica. She hid her smile. She didn't want to make it a big deal. We can build a shed and a pen away from the barn. A chicken coop too. Then we won't have to buy eggs to make French toast. Manny suggested. Jessica didn't hate the idea. There was plenty of room on the property to raise a couple hogs and have chickens. Both she and Tate had fond memories of raising 4-H project animals and taking part in future Farmers of America when they were young. You ask dad when he gets home. He'll have a harder time saying no to you than me. I will, he nodded resolutely. She noticed that both she and Manny had began talking and acting as if he was never returning home. Foster training instructed caregivers to remind children that the goal of foster care was for them to go home to their families. But how could she do that when she enjoyed the fantasy of Tate and her being his forever family, as much as he did? Let's go look at the livestock, Jessica suggested. The livestock barn was noisy. Loud fans and bleeding sheep threatened to drown out the sound of Elmer calling, so Jessica moved herself from her purse to her back pocket so she'd feel the vibration if he called. Manny stopped in front of a goat pen to say hello to a little girl from his class. I've been showing goats at the fair every year since I was six, she told them. She let Manny in the pen to pet a mama and two baby goats. She picked up one of the baby goats and plopped it in Manny's arms. He cuddled the little buckling as it squirmed in his arms. We need goats too, mom. Look how cute it is, he said, nuzzling its small head. Next, they walked to the midway to play carnival games. The afternoon heat had set in, but a pleasant breeze blew through the fairgrounds, mingling the sense of sweet feed and fair food. I talked to Mrs. Johnson on the phone while you were watching the piglets, Jessica said as they strolled past the dart toss game. 
Connie's called out, challenging fairgoers to play to win. The reason Minnow wasn't there this morning is because Grandma Paula broke her hip. Grandpa Elmer and Minnow went to the hospital with her. Is Grandma Paula okay? She will be after surgery. But there is a long recovery. She can't take care of Minnow anymore. Mrs. Johnson called to ask if Minnow can come stay with us. Manny's eyes widened. What do you think about Minnow coming to our house? A smile spread across Manny's face. For real. For real. Manny grabbed Jessica's hand and continued walking as he held it in his. I think it's a great idea. I do too, Jessica admitted. Elmer called while Manny was playing the duck pond game. Jessica. He said when she answered the phone. I'm sorry we stood y'all up this morning. Don't be. How is Paula doing? She's resting now. They gave her medication to null the pain. I'm real sorry to do this to Minerva, but, you don't have to explain anything, I understand. Thank you. When would you like us to pick her up? We are headed back to the house shortly. I'll help Minerva pack her things. Can you come this afternoon? Yes. See you then. And thank you again. Manny picked a plush light blue llama toy as a prize. I got this for Minnow, he announced. That's cute. And sweet of you, Jessica patted his shoulder. Should we go pick her up? Let's go. Manny said. Six. A month after the surgery, Paula phoned Jessica. Recovery was slow, but steady. She asked how Minerva was and told her she missed hearing the little girl's footsteps in the house. Can we stop by for a visit? She would love to see you and Elmer. We would love that. Minnow helped Jessica bake a batch of shortbread cookies to bring to the Gattises. Jessica loaded the cookies and the kids into the car and made the short drive to the Gattises' house in Mountain Town. Though it was an unseasonably warm September day, crisp leaves littered their pristine lawn, and the air smelled of fall. Minnow leapt into Elmer's arms when he opened the door. Jessica saw the old cowboy sniff away his emotions. He invited them into the living room, where Paula reclined comfortably in an easy chair. Hi Grandma Paula, Minnow approached her with caution, as if she'd break the woman. Sweet Minerva. Have you been a good girl at the Nichols? She asked the child. I am always, I am usually a good girl, Minnow replied honestly. Paula snickered, knowing it was true. I baked cookies for you. Minerva said. Shortbread, your favorite. Thank you. Paula said, hugging her with one arm. I'll hide them from Elmer. He can have one, Minnow smiled. The children eventually lost interest in the adults' conversation. They went to Minnow's former bedroom to play a board game. Have you heard any custody updates from CPS? Paula asked. Next month is October, the six-month mark. Only that their mother has so far met requirements outlined in the family service plan, served jail time, completed an inpatient drug rehabilitation program, and is continuing with outpatient care, Jessica said. Mrs. Johnson is pretty tight-lipped, but I get the impression she thinks the court will send them home to their mother at the placement hearing next month. Shame, Elmer said. Their folks ain't fit to care for those kids. Doesn't matter if they're blood. I feel bad saying it, but I hope that the repeat offenses and child neglect charges would make them reconsider reunification with their birth mom. I know that's always the goal of foster care, but it's not always in the children's best interest. Minerva's hair was so dirty and snarled when she got here that it took three washings for the water to run clean. She had food in her room for a month before she trusted there would always be enough to eat. Ha! Huh.
Manny still out eats Tate sometimes, Jessica said. Tate tells him he must have a hollow leg to store all that food. You have been a blessing those children, Paula said. Even if it is only six months of their life, they will remember their time with you and Tate as a time they felt safe and cared for. You fostered many children, how often did they come up for adoption? Jessica asked. In training, they told us not to hold our breath, yet, I am holding my breath, hoping to adopt the kids. About 25% of kids that we fostered were eventually put up for adoption. The majority were adopted by a relative of a birth parent, but that isn't a requirement or always the case, Paula said. Did it ever get easier to let them go? Jessica's voice cracked thinking about the children leaving her home. The thought of not being able to protect them after they left made for many sleepless nights, Elmer admitted. I worried myself sick that they'd keep up the good habits we'd established while they were in our care. Paula looked into the distance, remembering. We had a little boy who thrived when he took his epilepsy medication regularly. We had a girl who had finally caught up at school with supervised study time every night. I knew their parents wouldn't put in the effort to make sure they took their meds and studied when they returned home, Paula said. Our job is to love the children while we can. Sometimes that's under our roof, other times it's from afar, when they've moved on or returned home, Elmer said. The hardest part is letting yourself let them go, he advised, but you've got to do it. 7. Manny? Minnow's small voice called. He looked up and saw her hovering in the doorway to his room. Are you awake? I'm awake. He sat up in bed. I can't sleep. She climbed onto the end of his bed, clutching the stuffed llama he'd won for her at the fair. Me neither. Tomorrow was October 10th, marking six months in foster care. Tate, Jessica, and the children would attend the final placement hearing at court. Jessica told them Mrs. Johnson would be there, and so would their mother. The judge would review the progress made in the CPS case, evaluate whether their mother met the requirements outlined in the family service plan, and determine the best permanency outcome for the children. I'm scared, Minnow said. Manny was too, but he didn't tell Minnow. He had to be strong. He had to show Minnow he would take care of her, even if the court made them leave the Nichols, who they'd grown to love like parents. Manny was ashamed for not wanting to go back home. He thought it meant he didn't love his mother. The next morning, Jessica found both children asleep on Manny's bed when she roused them to get ready for the hearing. Tate looked sharp in a sport coat, creased jeans, and polished cowboy boots. Jessica set out a crisp button-down shirt and khaki pants for Manny. Do I have to wear a dress? Minna whined. No. You can pick out a nice shirt and slacks like your brother, Jessica suggested. Are you wearing a dress? Minna asked. Yes, I'm wearing this, Jessica held up a green shirt dress that complemented her hazel eyes color. A few minutes later, Minnow came downstairs wearing a dress the same shade of green. Jessica bought Minnow the dress when the children requested to attend Pastor Stephen's church. It was customary for women and girls to wear skirts in the apostolic Pentecostal tradition. Tate and Jessica had never attended church as a couple. They committed to attend services for the rest of the kids' time with them, but enjoyed the fellowship of the church community so much that they planned to continue going when Manny and Minnow returned home. Pastor Stevens told the Nichols that the children attended private school at the church while they were in their care. The children did great with the extra attention in small classes, Mrs. Stevens said, cradling her newborn. The kids made friends at school, Pastor Stevens said. I approached their mother with an offer for them to continue school here, for free.
He shrugged. I realize I'm biased, but I think this church and the apostolic school was a healing place for them and they made a lot of progress here. Tate and Jessica agreed. The fact the congregation was willing to waive the fee made them wonder why their mother wouldn't take up the offer. She could have asked for help to keep the kids in school when she was struggling at the end of the school year. Jessica and Tate rarely discussed the neglect charges because it infuriated Tate. Why do people who can have kids not care for them, while others, like them, couldn't have children? The morning of the hearing, Tate and Jessica mustered courage to face Manny and Minnow's mother, a woman they felt no sympathy for. In fact, they resented her. The fact Manny and Minnow were going home to her felt like she was taking their children instead of the other way around. The silver lining was that fostering the children together had made them closer as a couple. They were their best selves when they were nurturing Manny and Minnow. It highlighted all the things they loved about one another. Today would likely be the toughest day they'd had together as a couple, but they come through it better than they had been before. 8. The Nichols family walked up the steps of Mountain Town's historic courthouse. They were early, so Tate allowed Minnow to linger outside the courthouse. He could tell she wasn't ready to go inside. She ran her finger along the etched limestone block, stating the courthouse was erected in 1901. How long ago was 1901? She asked Tate to distract him from going inside, where she assumed her real mother was waiting. 123 years, Tate answered. Older than Grandpa and Grandma Gaddis. Minnow exclaimed, thoroughly impressed. Not much older. Tate chuckled. How it was his turn to distract her. He swooped the little girl up in his arms and carried her into the courthouse, giggling. The grand entry opened into a long hallway with tall granite pillars. Manny scanned the hall for his mother. He didn't see her, but he spotted Mrs. Johnson talking with two men in suits at the end of the hall. The moment she spotted them, Mrs. Johnson excused herself from the conversation and hurried over. Good morning. Mrs. Johnson looked and sounded anxious. She nervously turned to Tate and Jessica. There's been a development I need to speak to you about, in private. Jessica and Tate exchanged worried looks. A young legal clerk ushered the children to a waiting area while Mrs. Johnson led Tate and Jessica to a conference room. A giant table took up most of the room. They sat at the edge of their seats. Mrs. Johnson sat across from the couple. Child Protective Service strives to ensure quality services for children in foster care. It's my job to assist the parent work out their problems so their children can return home. Returning the children home is always the goal, she paused. However, when children can't live safely at home and no appropriate non-custodial parent, relative, or close family friend is willing and able to care for them, foster care is a temporary solution until a permanent living arrangement is found. Tate wished Mrs. Johnson would get to the point. He bounced his leg under the table. Jessica placed her hand on it to soothe him. Despite her history, Manuel and Minerva's mother complied with the family care plan. I came here today expecting the judge to rule in favor of returning the children to their mother with stipulations concerning her sobriety and upholding standards of care for them in the future. I was surprised, about a half hour ago, when the judge informed me a relinquishment was filed this morning. The children's mother voluntarily gave up her parental rights. Jessica grabbed Tate's arm and starred at him, mouth ajar. What about their dad? Tate asked. Their father's custodial rights were permanently terminated by court order when he went to prison. Their mother was the sole custodial parent until CPS took custody of the children. 
I wanted to talk to you both before you see the judge. During our initial intake meeting, you told me you were interested in fostering a child, to see if adoption was something you'd like to do in the future. Now, you've been wonderful caregivers to not one, but two children, who won't be going home. Unable to contain herself, Jessica interrupted Mrs. Johnson. Their home is with us. We want to adopt Manuel and Minerva, Tate confirmed. Jessica knew Tate cared for the kids, but he had been standoffish when she expressed despair about Manny and Minnow's inevitable return home. She knew it was self-protective. Now when she looked at him, she saw the longing in his eyes. He wanted them as much as she did. I was hoping you'd say that. Mrs. Johnson's anxiety dissipated. Why don't you join the children in the waiting area? After a quick conference with the judge, we'll proceed with the hearing. Tate and Jessica sat with the children. Tate distracted Manny with a game of Minecraft on his phone, while Jessica read a Kids Nat Geo article about baby pandas to Minnow. After what seemed like forever, the clerk called the Nichols family into the courtroom. The kids had experienced more than a fair share of status hearings, reviews, and resolutions in the courtroom in the past. But Jessica explained to them that if this was a permanent hearing the judge would inform them who would care for them in the future, where they would live, when to expect changes, and how the changes would take place. They entered the room with trepidation. They recognized the judge right away. He was an old man with a full head of bright white hair contrasting his black judge's robe. He wore thick glasses that enlarged his eyes. They expected to see their mother in the courtroom, but she was not there. Good morning, children. Thank you for your patience and good behavior. I have some unexpected news to share with you. He looked at Tate, then Jessica. Today's permanency hearing is cancelled on account of your mother having relinquished her parental rights. Your father is serving a life sentence in prison. This means that you cannot return home as we expected. Manny's eyes looked panicked. He reached up and grabbed Tate's hand. Tate pulled the boy to him. So instead, today's hearing will focus on the order termination of parental rights and a permanent placement solution, the judge explained. Mr. and Mrs. Nichols, I understand you've expressed your desire to adopt Manuel and Minerva? Yes, we do, Tate and Jessica said in unison. Manuel and Minerva, the court must determine what is your best interest. Myself, Mrs. Johnson your caseworker, and our court colleagues must consider home stability, your emotional and physical needs, as well as your desires. Mr. and Mrs. Nichols have proven themselves as caregivers, providing you both with a suitable home environment. So my question to you both is this. Do you want to be adopted into the Nichols family? Yes. Minnow jumped into Jessica's arms and wrapped her legs around her waist. We want to stay. Manny said and hugged Tate tighter. Well then, the judge huffed, you made my job easy. Mrs. Johnson, is 30 days an adequate amount of time to ensure applicable requirements are met with CPS? Yes. 30 days is sufficient. In that case, the clerk will schedule the adoption finalization 30 days from today. Congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Nichols, children, he announced and struck his gavel to end the hearing. Minnow rode Tate's shoulders down the courthouse steps, wearing his cowboy hat on her head. Jessica and Manny walked hand in hand behind him. I think we should celebrate, Jessica said. What do you have in mind? Tate asked. Can we go to the farm for pumpkins? Manny asked. Earlier that week, Jessica promised they would pick out Halloween pumpkins when Tate got home from the oil field. I'm going to get the biggest pumpkin. Minnow echoed. You're pretty small. 
who's going to carry it out of the field for you? Tate teased. You are dad, she sassed. Tate chuckled. What about lunch, mom? Manny asked, always hungry. I don't know about y'all, but a Carl's burger sounds pretty good right now. Carl's. Carl's. The children cheered. Jessica joined in to coax Tate. First, Carl's diner, then the pumpkin patch. Tate agreed, today is going to be a good day for all of us. The first of many, Jessica smiled at him lovingly. The end.